2: Well, welcome to Wimbledon, folks. You might wonder where our music is. You might wonder where Catherine is. Uh, More of that later. You're going to hear both of those two things uh, in the course of this show. But uh, we'll come clean, Matt and I, sitting on the broadcast roof overlooking uh, Court 1 and Henman Hill at the moment. We had already recorded the podcast about... 40 minutes ago completed a lovely hour of chat about all things semi-finals today looking ahead to the semi-finals tomorrow Catherine went on her way and then two minutes later we heard that there was going to be a press conference and Rafael Nadal was returning to Wimbledon to take part in it and that meant Matt we knew that Rafael Nadal was going to pull out of Wimbledon So, (laughs) what we're going to do...
3: Just when you think you're ahead of tennis, ahead of the
2: news, you're
3: (laughs) ready for an early night no
2: yeah so where does that leave us uh it means that we're going to have to remove the bit where we were talking about rafael nadal in the main show uh but you're going to hear all the rest of it and uh, matt and i have been in that press conference or matt was in the room itself i was watching on tv while whilst filing reports for bbc radio um but we'll we'll just react to that now and go through that story um and then let you listen to the rest of the show that we conducted with Catherine and simon briggs honest it's worth it <laughs> um but Matt um it's been a a strange day hasn't it in a way because we had a, all the kind of the drama and the inspiration of yesterday him getting through that match against Taylor Fritz clearly in trouble with this uh, abdominal tear which was confirmed today when we heard that he'd got a seven millimeter tear he'd had a scan overnight that was what was uh, the result of it Um, we then had this comical situation where word got around that he was going to be practicing on court 10 this afternoon Uh, so I went out there with my BBC microphone headphones on and word spread and people started to hear about the rumor and people started to come to the court 10 and eventually I got to a point where I realized he's not coming So I messaged a picture of myself looking uh, lonely on this court to his agent. And I said, am I wasting my time here? And he said, you're wasting your time on that court. (laughs) Uh, So uh, it turned out he was on a court 10, but it was in the practice area, not on the match courts. And uh, that was all the way over the other side of Wimbledon. So off I went there. And sure enough, Rafael Nadal spent about 45 minutes practicing ground strokes, volleys, um, serves right in the distance I mean we could barely see him to be honest uh, they d- deliberately tried to pick as private a court as they could I think um, no great surprise to see him not going through a hugely vigorous practice session particularly with, an, with what is clear, was clearly an injury um, but it didn't necessarily mean that I thought he was going to pull out I personally if until an hour ago I thought he would probably take to the court in all honesty um and uh, Novak Djokovic was practicing there, so I was Kyrgios. Nobody was going through the most intense of practice sessions you don't the day before a big match. Um, but, um, yeah, then we got word through that the press conference was going to happen and uh, Matt was in there. So, Matt, what uh, what did he say?
3: Well, he came in and he was pretty sad and hurt, I think, throughout the press conference, but also composed and clearly he has been running the decision over in his mind all day and all night about what best to do and he's arrived at the decision to pull out and in in his mind I think it's a very logical decision. So he was kind of at peace with it even though he was clearly hurting and he explained his reasons for doing it. Number one is that he doesn't think he can win two matches with this injury. He doesn't think he can be competitive enough to win the tournament and number 2 is that if he played on it he would make it worse and that of course is a, is a big contrast to Roland Garros and i think what is interesting here is we were just in nadal press conferences a few weeks ago at Roland Garros where he was talking about giving absolutely everything he possibly could just to make it through the event he was playing with a numbed foot to be able to do that but he was doing that because he knew that he wasn't making the foot injury any worse, um, and he spoke about you know it could possibly be his last tournament ever at Roland Garros. He was giving everything there. Here, he knows that playing on it would make it worse. It would interrupt his schedule for the summer and the U.S. Open. And in a way, that's that's kind of a positive, isn't it? In in Roland Garros, he was all short term because he didn't think he maybe had a career left now because of what's happened to his foot he is able to think a bit more long term again and that's kind of been a good development in nadal's career over the last month or so that he is thinking about the future again and you know not wanting to jeopardize any of it but yeah those are his reasons for this decision that he's made and clearly it was a tough one but he's he's come to terms with it um and He said that it got worse, the tear, during the Fritz match. He pinpointed the exact moment, the 3-1 game when he was serving. He said that until then he'd had this problem, but it was under control. Then he felt it worse. And obviously all the tests today, I think, have have really confirmed that it's, it's this bad.
2: Yeah. Well, I I had messaged earlier on today a, a physio that has worked on my pathetic excuse for a body, uh, and and helped to keep it together, just to ask him about the particular injury that Nadal has and and what it would be like trying to play a tennis match of that high octane um, with it. And uh, and he said, depending, this is Paul Dillon from Ultimate Physio, um, who said, uh, depending on which ab an area it is. It can vary in severity, but generally a tear like that would be manageable unless you were playing a very tough game like tennis, Um, even for Nadal. He said if he does power through, I could see him having to retire early in the match. Even coughing, laughing or deep breathing can be a nightmare for someone with an ab tear. Treatment can help, but not really in such a short window. And I think that that has been proven exactly right in terms of what nadal has has ended up deciding to do here um but it doesn't sound as though he's going to be out too long um and there's a a u.s open on the horizon that he's factoring into this decision
3: yeah exactly he he spoke about three to four weeks in terms of making a full recovery he thinks he'll be able to hit ground strokes again in in about a week and he doesn't expect to have to pull out of any of the events that he's got planned in, in the build up to the US Open. And, you know, let's not forget, he still hasn't lost the Grand Slam match this year. You know, that's that's one of my takeaways here is yes, the Calendar Slam quest is over, he cannot win Wimbledon. But my God, what a year he's already given us in the Grand Slams in particular. I will remember Australia, what he did there forever. And Roland Garros, seeing the guy who's always played every match like it could be his last, literally doing that, will always stay with me forever as well. And here, the fact he even showed up at Wimbledon, I was quite surprised about. You know, I thought, you know, just after the French Open, we probably wouldn't see him at Wimbledon. He came, he gave it a shot.
2: He was in great form. He was in
3: great form, he won five matches. It's a real blow that it has ended like this. It really is. It's bad for. The DAL, its bad for the tournament. I can't even bring myself to think how Taylor Fritz must be feeling, but it's the decision he has to take, and he is taking it, as you said, with a view to the medium term and the U.S. Open as
2: well. I, I did ask this last night about um, Taylor Fritz, and uh, we were actually discussing it with uh, with Pam Shriver and Billie Jean King. What a sentence that <laughs> is! <laughs> about uh, you know, does the does the rule need to change to allow Taylor Fritz to step into the breach now? For instance, I mean, you know, there's that there's the one element is, do you point a finger at Nadal and say, well, actually, y- your decision to carry on playing has selfishly robbed Taylor Fritz of, his, of a chance? I mean, I don't believe that. I really don't. I think it's it's not incumbent on Nadal to make a decision for for Taylor Fritz at uh, I really don't. He's there to win a tennis match if he can, and then hopefully you'll be all right for the next day. You can't. There are no guarantees, and it was it was up to Fritz to win the match, and he Agreed. didn't. And I don't think Fritz is would would see it any differently. I suppose there is a question mark though, over whether, just in this situation, maybe you need to have have a backup, have a, have a sort of situation where, by if the player can't take to the court, the one that he beat goes through.
3: I know that will be suggested and I know why that will be suggested. You know, people have spent a lot of money tomorrow on on tickets expecting two matches and they're only going to get one in terms of singles matches anyway. So I I get that argument. I don't agree with it. I I think injuries, unfortunately, are just a fact of the sport in this individual sport. It's going to happen every now and again. You know, they can promote some other matches and put it on the court and give some people some entertainment of course it's a blow I just wouldn't feel particularly comfortable with a player who's lost clearly lost a match in a quarter final getting another chance to win and potentially go on and win the tournament that would feel totally unsatisfactory as well I think mm. in it's a not really
2: way. sport is it no uh, and that's kind of why I'm always complaining about round robin but uh, and this would be more severe and it being a grand slam so Yeah, very disappointing. Um, It does mean that Nick Kyrgios goes through to the final of Wimbledon. And he's going to be playing against either Cameron Norrie or Novak Djokovic on Sunday. And we'll have time to preview that match in tomorrow's show and also on Saturday after the the women's final review also to get uh, previews and predictions for the men's singles final. But we know that Nick Kyrgios is going to be there. So that's what's happened since we recorded the podcast you're about to hear. I hope you enjoy it.
4: Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion
0: Bartoli.
3: I'm Mats Wilander. This is Mary Carillo. This is Pam Schreiber. This is Yannick Noah, and
0: you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. <laughs>
4: Well, the Wimbledon women's singles final is set. It will be Ons Jabeur of Tunisia and Elena Rabakina of Kazakhstan who will do battle for a maiden Grand Slam title on Saturday. I've just come from the Ons Jabeur press conference. A joy, of course. Uh, Matt's been keeping an eye on everything, multi-screening. David's been in the five live commentary box watching the kiss of death he put yesterday on Simona Halep in in action.
2: Sorry, Samana.
4: Player of the tournament, said David, less than 24 hours ago. She
2: had been until that point.
4: (laughs) (laughs) And we're joined up on the broadcast roof in resplendent sunshine by Simon Briggs of The Telegraph. Simon, welcome.
1: Thank you very much.
4: Happy Wimbledon. It's the first time we've had you on.
1: Yeah, well, it's been uh, actually relatively calm so far for me. I had COVID the week before the tournament so I arrived on day one quite refreshed having allowed my um, colleagues to do all the running around in that painful week before the tournament starts. And uh, I'm actually feeling like, like not completely destroyed, which would normally be my state of mind today.
4: You were in a, an emirati Carney style race against time to be fit for Wimbledon.
1: Well, it was always uh, my intention to make COVID uh, last as long as possible up until uh, 11 o'clock on day one. <laughs> so even if I might have pushed it a little bit to get back at the weekend, I thought tactically, well, I might just stay in bed.
2: You, you, do, need, you do know that people listen to this, don't
4: you? <laughs> <laughs> right then, let's talk about Ons Jabeur. definitely in the mix In David's lifetime, can we confirm that please? We
2: can confirm that Catherine, in fact she's in the mix right now (laughs) Uh, I was wrong all along um, and I've been thinking that I was probably in the wrong probably for the last few days but there was still that question mark hanging over in my mind and there was also a complete state of denial and stubbornness and uh, all the rest of it
4: Well, we appreciate you not putting the kiss of death on her too early.
2: Yeah, but I mean, look, she's a good story. When she lost the second set today, even then there was still just a little bit of a flicker of doubt in my mind. But the manner in which she then banished that and went downhill to the victory—you know, the sort of just free wheeled and was herself in the most stressful, potentially stressful half an hour of her life—and yet she made it look anything but. Made me realise. She does have this in her. She's shown she has it in her, and I was wrong.
4: Because she didn't play her best today, OK? I think in that deciding set she did, she, she you know, she took a commanding full-love lead in that very quickly, didn't she? Won it, won it 6-1. It never really felt like a contest, that decider. But even in the first set that she won, and particularly in the second set that she lost to Tatiana, Tatiana Maria today, I, I thought she was pretty far from her best. There were the moments of Monster Burn magic that we... So love. And yes, I'm talking about the drop shot return on the second point of the match. (laughs) Absolute all-time favourite,
1: that. Was she sucked into playing that side of her game by Maria? Because she has those different characters, doesn't she? She can do the the sleight of hand, but she does have power when she Mm. wants it. And it seemed like we didn't even see... A single ball hit at full pace. It was almost like they, they decided to, to play with feathers today and sort of tickle each other to death.
4: <laughs> yeah, I don't want to get into final preview too quickly, but I actually think a match up with with a straightforward slugger is a better match up for Florence Chaberra. I think you might have a point there that she didn't. She didn't love the slicing and dicing coming back at her necessarily, but I thought I thought her movement looked ever so slightly sluggish today. She just looked a little heavier footed than than she has, just not quite the sharpness. And I I assume that's nerves. I mean, I, I it always sticks with me the way Daniela Hantikova talks about semifinals being harder than finals. You don't you don't. It feels like falling at the final hurdle to lose in the in the semifinals. And of course, she had one of the most. Gutting Grand Slam semi final losses ever, I think, from Six Love, Two Love uh, in the Australian Open against Anna Ivanovic. So she's speaking from a particular a position of particular scar tissue, but I get it. I get the psychology of this being the hardest hurdle to overcome.
3: Yeah, I do as well. And as much as Ons Burr has been a very prominent player in women's tennis for the last year 18 months really certainly compared to tatiana maria they were still both in this situation for the first time and i guess nerves would have affected both of them but i actually think it says everything about on Jabeur as a tennis player that even though she didn't necessarily play her best today i thought she was a little bit error prone a little bit ragged at times i can still think of so many amazing shots mm. that she hit i mean you spoke about the drop shot return on the second point of the match the one that will stick with me is the is the pirouetting half volley drop shot that she hit literally facing the wrong way that she hit it and it and it came back at her body because she was facing the way she then had to contort herself out the way as it went over the net and it was a it was a wonderful drop shot she didn't end up winning the point but just the racket skills she's got and there were backhand smashes little slices it was all on display even if it wasn't all sort of securely packaged together and it was mixed in with quite a lot of errors as well but it was stylistically, it was, a, it was kind of a treat to watch, I felt, and a nice contrast to the second semi-final. We kind of had a bit of everything today.
1: And in terms of the movement, is it harder because she has to go in four directions? Like, if you're playing against Rackna in the final, you only need the left and right buttons on your PlayStation controller, but she's actually got to go forwards and back, so there's a whole different mm. type of movement required. Yeah.
4: Simon, make my day and tell me that the Telegraph back page will be a picture of the Angeber Tatiana Maria hug. Uh,
1: it's, it's what
4: the nation needs right now.
1: I think we're, certainly my day has been spent writing about Cameron Norrie, so I've, I've, I've switched... Uh, <laughs> I've definitely switched loyalties from being the Emma Raducanu correspondent <laughs> to the Cameron Norrie correspondent. I don't know if you can spot a common theme in, in, in
4: this kind of public hysteria
2: that, that I'm very easily led. That's a very polite and long-winded no, Catherine. Mm.
4: Mm. It'll just have <laughs> to live, live rent through in my head for the rest of my life then. That yeah, hug. well, I mean, oh. it's
2: one of the best, most emotional moments on the tennis court that I, I will have seen. And, uh, and that's no exaggeration. I... I I filled up with tears watching that moment, and I had no expectation of that being the case whatsoever. I I was kind of watching that match whilst also reporting on the, the doubles that was going on at the same time, more of that later. But, I mean, first of all, Tatiana Maria... When you first watch a play, if, you're a, if you are if you play in a club, uh, any tennis club, you've seen tennis players like Tatiana Maria hacking a forehand slice repeatedly and floating it onto the baseline and just give me a normal shot to hit. For goodness <laughs> sake, that's not tennis, a lot of people would watch and think. And yet she's making it work. And actually, I, I really enjoyed it. But yeah, on the moment of victory, when they embraced, and actually the bit that got me was then Jabir going back, to Maria and pulling her <laughs> into the centre of the court and pointing to her for the crowd to specifically applaud Tatiana Maria that's such a, an amazing gesture such a selfless, lovely thing to do and um, I can't think of any other tennis player that I've ever seen do that I've seen people applaud their opponent off the court when they're leaving whatever. To just go over and just, just say no no like almost like on a on a stage when you've just seen the most wonderful theatre and the cast come out and they, they want to push certain people to the front to, to get the, the, the standing ovation. And that's what a player who just reached the Wimbledon final, her first thought was to do that for her vanquished opponent. I think mean, that's amazing. She's a great host, isn't she? Yeah. Possibly uh, in line for the Sue
1: Barker job next year.
4: She's the... I've just, as I said, I've just been in her press conference, which was magnificent in all the ways you'd expect. She, her, her nickname these days is the Minister... Is it Minister?
3: The Minister of Happiness. Minister
4: of Happiness. And she gave a spectacular <laughs> response to a question about the fact that Keir Starmer <laughs> was in the Royal Box watching her today. She was asked uh, by a journalist from the Daily Mirror about the fact that the uh, the country's falling apart around her while she reaches the Wimbledon final she said i don't know, he said i don't know if you know but our potential future prime minister was was watching you uh in the royal box today do you, do you think that was how did he word it do you think that was a good use of his time <laughs> something like that oh, great <laughs> and she dealt with it superbly she said she said, well, I, I'm only the minister for happiness, so uh, so I couldn't possibly comment. But uh, but I've heard a little bit about all the horrors that are going on uh, in the UK government, and I hope your next one's better than, than the last one. <laughs> Ons is all of us. <laughs> Perfect. Very diplomatic
1: silence, Simon. <laughs> well, you know, you know, <laughs> uh, well, we're going to have the prime minister back as a columnist soon, I imagine. So... Uh... Oh great! Brings them roundabout, right? <laughs> World exclusive. This is the Daily Telegraph. I'm, I'm, I'm talking about.
4: <laughs> um, Simon, we know the Ons Burr story um, and the narrative and the significance of her, and we love it. We love it all. We know, we know who she is and how wonderful she is and how wonderful her tennis is. How much cut through is there for a British audience at the moment? How? How into Ons Jaber are the standard tennis... Well, Wimbledon-watching British public right now.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think this final isn't isn't going to be familiar to the people outside the tennis bubble on either front. Um, obviously, Ons has got more uh, re- re- results behind her than Rabatkinner, but um, neither of them had, had got anywhere near where Halep is in, in the public consciousness. So from the point of view of recognisability, that's um, not a, a final that... Is going to have name power. Um, I mean, I, the, the problem is that for uh, news organisations, the headlines are all going to be about Rebeca and where she was born um, tomorrow. That's also not necessarily feeding into the, the happy narrative, um, but it's uh, it's, it's uh, the reality of uh, of the way that uh, the interest is probably going to be.
4: And we will come on to talk about that, obviously, but just in terms of Jabir and where she was born she's a Tunisian Muslim woman it's Eid on Saturday it, it's, um, it's, the, it's she described it as the biggest celebration in, in her calendar um, she's planning a big barbecue win or lose I think Tatiana Maria actually promised to barbecue for her um which is weird because shouldn't it be on Shabur barbecuing for, for Tatiana Maria? But anyway, Tatiana Maria has pledged to do her a barbecue. So it's a national holiday in, in the Arab world on, on Saturday. And it just feels like such a monumental, game changing deal. The fact that I, I know uh, several people got in touch to say that um, both Marat and Dinara Safina, uh, Marat Safin and Dinara Safina, um, were Muslims when they reached the top of the sport and won Grand Slams but an Arab Muslim woman reaching a Wimbledon final potentially becoming a Wimbledon champion on the first day of Eid I don't know it's just it's so massive and significant
2: yeah I mean beyond the shores um, and, and for, for people within these shores as well but I mean that that is such a moment isn't it and um, and I think if she can do it and I think she can. I am. I do wonder whether if there's any point at which she just suddenly freezes, with with all this on her shoulders. And there's been no sign of it yet. I think probably more likely is that Rebecca's violent game is is going to cause the problems if there are going to be problems. But yeah, I mean, it it would be a, it would be a massive moment. And actually, just in terms of um, creating names, what better way to create your name than win Wimbledon? And uh, that that will put her. Okay, it might take a while until you can sort of bill her in a certain way, but until you win big, you can't be billed.
4: And I thought her her celebration, her post-match interview on the court, her press conference just now, it very much had a vibe of, I am delighted, but I'm not done yet. I'm not sufficiently delighted. You know, she's... She'll, she won't leave Wimbledon happy unless she wins it. She, won't, she, she, she said in the press conference just now that after reaching the quarterfinals here last year, which was her first ever Grand Slam quarterfinals, it was a massive breakthrough at the time. It was the first tournament where she'd had her uh, mental coach, Melanie Maillard, with her. She said she said to Melanie after that tournament, after she'd lost in the quarterfinals, I want to come back and win next year. And Melanie said, OK. Well, no guarantees, but I know that when you set your mind to something, you usually do it. So let's see if we can do it.
1: And as you said before the tournament, it almost seemed as if she felt the French Open setback had been a valuable staging post towards this Mm. uh, as a benefit, which is a remarkable way of twisting your own narrative into a positive light. And that is... Serious mental skill, isn't it? I mean, how many people would be able to to take that view and and then turn it into reality? It's interesting mentally because you feel like she's been leading up to this moment for a year, whereas Rebecca Rebecca has come out of nowhere. But you sort of also feel like Rebecca is playing out of her mind and hasn't woken up. Um, So it's almost like one of them is very uh, in charge of the steering wheel and the other one's on autopilot.
4: Yes, she's we were talking about this yesterday on, on the the podcast with Elena Rybakina. Is she on autopilot, or is is she just is she just a swan? You know, serene on the surface and lots going on underneath. She's so she's so unknowable at the moment to us all, isn't she? She's she's very very hard to read, and I still find that to be the case even after today's win over over Simona Halep. I mean, she was just yeah, it was dream, it was dreamlike stuff, wasn't it, David? You. You've never watched her up close like that before, have you? You was so no. taken by her tennis? No,
2: not until a couple of days ago. And uh, uh, first time was on court one against Tom Ljanovic, which is, you feel you could be sitting on the court, the, the position we have in the corner. Today it's a little higher on centre court, but just the, yeah, her game in person, court level, is a different watch to what you see on TV. You can't appreciate the purity of the ball strike that she has and the speed it's going through the air and the way it puts opponents on the back foot when she's on and how easy it looks. I mean, it's fluid, languid, all those words, and yet it's violent and destructive. I mean, Simona Halep was trying her heart out. She was making the noise that I often think she needs to be making when she's trying hard and she's invested in every point. This This was no capitulation from Halep. She was fighting her heart out. She was just knocked off the court.
4: She didn't. She, she was struggling for ways to win points that weren't Rabakina errors out there today. She was, I mean, the definitive playmaker, Rabakina.
3: Yeah, she needed Rabakina to dip in form, and she did. There was one game she played in the second set where she just suddenly hit four unforced errors and it got Simone Halep back on serve. Then Halep didn't capitalize on that moment. And the, the real problem Halep had today, I think in addition to Rebecca's game was her serve. I mean she hit nine double faults in the match and yeah, you can't do that she'd game. only hit ten in the whole tournament so far. And, you know, when you're when you're handing someone nine free points and there's, there's always a knock on effect of double faults as well. They just create additional pressure in your service game, a bit of tension, I think. And just seemed that that was such a big factor today. And it just gave Rebecca a belief to just keep going for her shots as she did and was pretty pretty flawless, other than that one game from Rebecca The, the strike she has on the ball, the ability to knock Halep off the court. You know, I mean, we saw Anisimova not be able to do that, and she's got real weapons herself. But Rubikina, her game was finely tuned. It was, it was a dominant, impressive performance from her in, on a stage she'd never been on before. Just as Simon says, she just seems like she's on autopilot.
1: But even within those double faults, there's double faults and double faults on there, and there's the one where you try and go for a big second serve, but these were the, the ones that I really noticed were falling in the bottom of the net, and they weren't coming off the strings, right? And, and it, that just and projects all key points. a whole uh, sort of negative attitude mm-hmm. that, that maybe your opponent can feed off. I mean, not that Rebecca kind of really looks the feeding type, but does she even know who's the <laughs> other side of the net? Um, it's, just, it's all about her, isn't it? But... Um, it did it was a deflating experience, some of those some of those doubles.
3: And she was very quick to leave the court, Halep. She yeah. gathered her stuff extremely quickly and and left. I think obviously the the main story is how brilliant Rebecca was. I I felt Halep had more to give today. I, I really think, did.
4: I think it was potentially a problem for her that she hadn't really been tested up until this point. She mm. hadn't dropped a set. I think the the closest she'd been run was 2 tightish sets against Kirsten Flipkins in the second round. You know, this is somebody that was suffering from a panic attack at the French Open and, and bombing out of that tournament and looking, you know, emotionally not in a, not in a good place. And she did... As soon as she lost that first set, the signs of frustration manifested very, very quickly, and I'm not sure that baked-in emotional resilience mm. was there. That the, Had she come through a couple of tight ones where she'd lost the first set, or lost, lost any set, before this stage, I think perhaps she might have been able to withstand that onslaught a little bit better, but trying to produce that for the first time in a tournament at the semi-final stage, I think is, well, from what I can gather, <laughs> quite <laughs> difficult.
1: Are we going to see a tweet from Patrick Muratoglu, uh taking responsibility for,
2: for what happened out there? I'm just sort of hoping he keeps his head down. Well, and he let, was very let, much. Let things happen. Good luck with that. He
4: was very much <laughs> not keeping his head down um, before the match, was yeah. he? The, the scenes backstage. You know, we're supposed to get these extremely, um, you know, one-on-one, one-on-one combative character studies of the two players backstage, just in the moments before they walk onto court. You know, the cameras there catching them in their private moments of preparation, and of course, Patrick Moritoglu is there. Capturing a lot of the camera's attention, mm. and he's been in every single one of Samina Hallop's press conferences. And saying no. I don't know. look, He's undoubtedly a good coach. He's reached the semi-final. This that is a, you know, relative to what people were expecting. I think before this tournament, that's a very good result. You can't question that. But I hope he. I hope he doesn't say anything.
2: Yeah, I, and she has at least credited him with making her want to carry on playing and. And really getting back to the top again, you know, in terms of motivation, I just think there's there's often too much of, of a of a conclusion drawn that he's the reason that she gets good results, um, and, uh, and 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 which players generally. And let's not forget, she won two Grand Slam titles before he came on the scene and reached several other Grand Slams finals. Um, she's a really really good player.
4: Okay, Simon, let's talk about. Um, Elena Rabatkina's nationality. She represents Kazakhstan and has done for four years. She's she's pretty open about the fact that it was a, a financial incentive to to switch allegiances and represent Kazakhstan. I mean, there's a lot of ethnic Russians in Kazakhstan representing Kazakhstan. This is not uncommon. It's been a um, it's been something that Kazakh sporting federations of all sorts have been doing. For a long time, and she's not alone. Alexander Bublik, I'd say, is probably the most prominent other um, switch, switcher of, uh, of nationalities. But she said, Yep, the Federation offered me support, they believed in me, and I switched. Um, the, the question I asked the, the other night on the podcast was, you know, in the context of the justification and explanation that Wimbledon have given for their decision to to ban Russian and Belarusian athletes. Could an Elena Rabakina victory at Wimbledon be held up by Vladimir Putin as a sign of Russian success and cultural dominance?
1: Well, I think not really, not fully, and yet, you know, to quote John Wertheim's tweet, it's still a, a skunk at the garden party <laughs> experience, and it's almost like everything that could possibly have gone wrong ever since that decision, which personally I've got no problem with from the Old England Club, everything that could possibly have gone wrong has gone wrong I mean didn't didn't Medvedev uh, uh, climb to to number one as a direct result haven't we now got a Russian in in the final haven't uh, you know all the penalties been imposed at the the most extreme end of the spectrum including this fine of of a million dollars going to the LTA and the All England Club I mean it's just been a a, like a a well-meaning move which I I have no problem with and it couldn't have gone worse and uh, it's like I don't blame them for that. It wasn't as if they were in control of any of those developers. It's just been unbelievably unfortunate, hasn't it, since the we, very beginning. If, if you worked for a tabloid,
4: Simon, you'd call it a bungling.
2: You would. But but I, I but, mean, but, but, but I mean it's it's, out it's, of their control. It, it's not it's could it have been foreseen, I suppose, to this degree. She's not Russian though. I mean you you said there's a Russian in the final. She is representing Kazakhstan, mm. so it's no, yes, be, be, better than the well, worst-case scenario. And, and
4: uh, well, no, I, sorry, just to intervene, I think those two things can be true. You can be Russian. You, you can be. She's lot, Russian. You bought. can be lots of things.
3: Public still she, calls himself she, she Russian, cease to, even though doesn't. She doesn't. He you don't Kazakhstan. cease to be
4: Russian when you. You know, lots of people with dual passports. You don't. Yeah,
2: but she doesn't have a dual passport she doesn't have russian citizenship anymore yeah
3: i think her her case is slightly different to bubliks for example who does say pretty openly that he's he's russian but he's mm. representing kazakhstan because they you know there were financial incentives they believed in his tennis more than the russian F- tennis federation did etc i think it's quite an interesting final opponent and one that maybe um sort of goes some way to justify Wimbledon's decision in terms of the importance of nationality in tennis, you know, because Ons Jabeur talks so openly mm. and so importantly about how big this is for Tunisia and what she's doing is you know, inspiring people there and how that's such a big motivating factor for her sometimes, you know, I can watch tennis and not really care about a player's nationality or think of it in terms of nationality that much but with Ons Jabeur, I really do and that's an example I think of how it could have been used, I suppose. Were there a Russian representing Russia in the final?
1: It's going to be hard for everybody not to start out with a little bit of an inbuilt bias when we watch the final, I'm afraid. I mean, I don't know Rebecca, and I'm sure she's a great girl. Has, but... she,
4: has she been... We've, we've got public on the record specifically saying, I, "I, you know, I still feel and consider myself Russian. Has, has Rebecca spoken about that
2: I, I was i heard a on five live today while we were building up to the match saying that very clearly that i, I did get offered an opportunity um t- to be helped by kazakhstan and now i'm and, I, and i've had that it was really good for me and i'm really proud to represent kazakhstan and actually i think i'm my success is is now helping tennis develop in Kazakhstan in terms of people wanting to play the sport that's what what she said um she she didn't engage or didn't at least I didn't hear any comment about Russia specifically but I think she turned that question into one where she wanted to be very clear that she she feels really happy that she's representing Kazakhstan I mean I don't think she's she's not like disowning the fact that she was born in Russia and and that um it's only four years ago that she moved but um she was um she was quite fully on board I think, now at least She
3: she was asked in her last press conference, do you feel Kazakh or Russian? And she said, it's a tough question just to say exactly what I feel Um, I'm representing Kazakhstan, it's been a long journey, I got so much help and support from them, I'm very happy to represent Kazakhstan, so you know, Mm. she, she didn't specifically say she doesn't feel Russian but she did, as David's pointed out, talk you know a lot about how she feels good about representing Kazakhstan.
4: It's raising yet another knotty philosophical issue of you know what is nationality? What what does it even mean? I'm fed up with geopolitics. Ten- I'm fed up with tennis giving me f- flashbacks of my philosophy degree. Well, and, what what yeah. does Cameron
2: Norrie feel he is? Well, exactly. Sort know? of
4: all this questioning of of his nationality, and the fact is, he's more British than he is. he's as, well. He's certainly as much British as he is anything else, isn't he? Because he's he's lots and lots of different things and the 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 way that we discuss nationality doesn't generally account for the fact that you can be lots and lots of different Mm -hmm, things I mean just ask Naomi Osaka about how uh, uncompromising um, she has found how sort of binary she's found discussion around nationality over the course of over the course of her career so oh, more knotty issues thanks tennis (laughs) (laughs) Yep. <laughs> do you think it will affect the final on Saturday it's sort going of, to affect the, the crowd the, isn't it I- is it, is it, it going to affect so. the viewership the feel of it
2: I, mean, I didn't sense that today on the court I didn't sense that anybody is couching how they respond to her winners with that in mind that's not what I got from, from being on the court and the interview she did on the court people seem to like her and respond well to her um, that's just the general feeling I got that, that it that it didn't make any impact at all.
4: Two previous meetings between Jabir and Rabakina. Um, well actually three but one of them ended via retirement so I'm going to leave that one out and it's uh, one win piece, one in Dubai of last year that was won by Jabir 6-2 in the third uh, and the other one in Wuhan of the previous year won by Rabakina 6-2 in the third we'll do a full preview of the final tomorrow and we'll hopefully hear from uh, Reem Abelil as well the, um, the journalist that's covered on Jabur most closely over the last well over the course of her whole career um, but I think you know contrast of styles generally makes could good be, matches doesn't it could, could be, a be really cracker. good
2: could be really good I, I you know you just i just hope they're both settle quickly mm.
4: god i wish it was best of five sets yeah f- so do i particularly for that reason in a final so much on the line i mean it was
1: a very good day wasn't it today uh, semi-finals so. and, and no, there's no reason why it shouldn't continue
0: mother's day is around the corner find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it You can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.
2: Hello Tennis Podcast listeners, David here. Now you might know that I love a bit of cooking and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in.
4: How can he beat Novak Djokovic? How, how are you bigging up his chances of doing the impossible? Yeah, yeah. In the yeah. Paper? I think
1: we have totally failed to <laughs> offer any advice that, that Cam Norrie might benefit from. Uh, we've got a. We, I mean, the Evening Standard managed to get to Andy Murray, who said uh, Cam's a jolly good chap. He works very hard, um, and then referred to Emma Raducanu as the precedent for miracles.
4: Oh, okay. Needs a, um, need a
2: miracle there, Cam. That was, yeah,
1: we didn't actually use it, that's my projection. He said, right. he said things, unexpected things happen in tennis, look at Emma in New York. Uh, but he didn't necessarily
2: throw Ooh. out too many crumbs of comfort.
1: Right. I mean, it's not a great match And this why would not, he? I mean, no.
2: Novak Djokovic is six-time champion, and I remember them playing at the ATP finals, uh, him and Norrie, and I remember the look on Norrie's face when he came off the court. Mm just because he was looking forward to the match you know he's looking forward to having a go against Djokovic and he came back off the court looking embarrassed that he couldn't couldn't even make it competitive um now look that's a different scenario it wasn't wasn't an all or nothing match for Norrie he was just an alternate wasn't he and there was no pressure on him was there different type of match I don't expect Norrie to come out and do anything other than do himself justice tomorrow. Mm. I think he, I would expect him to play, play well, but he'll need Djokovic to not be playing as well as he can, surely.
4: He'll need him to sustain a 7 millimeter tear in his abdominal muscle.
1: And he'll need to go where 37 previous opponents have failed yeah. on centre court against Novak Djokovic, right?
3: Thank you very much, Simon. That was a start. Wow,
2: how good was that? Eh? <laughs> I was
3: very pleased to wake up you... to a WhatsApp from I... Simon Briggs about that stat. Oh
2: really, it, did you? Oh yeah. Is oh. It a career best?
3: Might be. I, I think
4: it might be a I call.
2: Best. I titled the newsletter Matt's Greatest Stat Ever.
3: I did have a good one at Wimbledon a few years I'm ago. I'm going to dispute it now. When <laughs> I've got <laughs> I've had a better one than that. <laughs> actually, I think it was something like Felix Auger-Aliassime could win the next 50 slams in a row. And still not have as many Grand Slam wins as Roger Federer or something like that at the time. Matches, yeah. In yeah. terms of matches one. Just to sort of put into context how many <laughs> matches the big three and Serena.
1: And but it takes a bit more explaining one. that one. It you, does a little. And <laughs> you didn't
4: have to go to the library for it. That one could be found on the internet. Oh, yeah. I do like a stat that cannot yeah. be found on the internet. Yeah. So yeah. You were in the library was. yesterday.
1: Oh yeah and how have, you long been, and have you been Simon? <laughs> oh yeah I go all the time well, that's, not, that's not true But I, I, I'd like to go more often And uh, I should shout out To Robert McNichol <laughs> He's if, great, if you already he? have um, Absolutely top fellow um, Alan Little before him Was an equally excellent guy And uh, I mean It's just you could get Lost in there for years you could spend your life I mean I, I love spending My life in libraries how, how long were you there for Matt?
3: I was there probably About five hours altogether Across a couple of days for that stat? Yeah.
1: Wow. So not only was it a career best, but it's probably the, the, the hardest stat that you've ever <laughs> yeah. chiselled out. But it's very,
3: very hard to look up historic orders of play. Mm. Uh, it's just something that tennis does not have digitised. Robert, I mean, Robert is actually working on a digital version of historic orders of play. And that, now I've said that he's got to do it. So Robert...
1: <laughs> so there's a leads. reason why it was such a good stat, and, and there hasn't been previously cited...
2: You actually have to work hard, folks, not just Google mm. stuff. You have to go in there five hours, leaf yeah. through old but, tatty orders of play. But, I mean, it
3: has, it has got me thinking whether it's the longest winning streak on any of the oh. centre courts. I think it probably is. I mean, I, I think Margaret Court in Australia could... because she won. Nadal and Chatrier? It's, it's longer than any of Nadal's Whoa. streaks on Chatrier.
4: Didn't Federer do five US Opens? Yes, that would be one to check. Mm, okay.
2: If, if they're not, if they're not subscribing to the newsletter now, <laughs> Catherine.
4: No, I've told you, I'm not plugging the newsletter anymore. <laughs> because if yesterday didn't get them, there's no hope for them. <laughs> Absolutely no hope Quite whatsoever. Right. Um, bit of doubles business to bring you before we go. an absolute heartbreak, I'm sure, right now for Rajiv Ram and Joe Salisbury the British-American or American-British top seeds in the men's doubles, who lost out six-two in the fifth. Uh, after being two sets to love up and squandering five match points including one with the Joe Salisbury double fault it is gonna hurt It, I mean well I, I watched to, to Matt Ebden and Max Purcell I should say who were also the Australian Open finalists they lost out to the yeah. Special K in that match that revolutionised doubles
2: I joined that match uh, to to report on it for Five Live while the commentary was going on in the first um, women's single semi-final and it was two sets of love for Salisbury and Ram at that point, deep in the third set, loads of pressure they're having all the better of it Purcell and Ebden are hanging on. I'm watching these match points come and go. It was the most amazing atmosphere. Packed house on court one. They were so behind Salisbury and Ram. And I kind of thought, oh, I'd love to be out there. This is so great. And then I went to commentate on Halep against Rabacchina, and the sets just started ticking off for the opponents. And by the third set... I felt so sorry for Salisbury and Ram. They were, ju- they were trying everything to get back into it. And it, the, the quality of the tennis, I thought, was amazing. I just, and Purcell, some of the stuff he was doing, the hands he's got. I don't know how they do it, these players. And to dig themselves... You know, I generally think five sets in the double series silly. But just I think
4: to, Jay Salisbury does right now as Yeah, well.
2: well, I'm sure. But just today, that was incredible sport it was heartbreaking Mm. and heroic and everything in between
4: I watched the early stages of that match on um, BBC TV and uh, they had Tom Woodbridge on commentary and he was talking about how he thinks Max Purcell can be a a great singles player or certainly a good singles player and and he's told him so but he was talking about how difficult it is to be trying to establish yourself as a singles player if you're being successful in doubles, he was saying it's fine if you're a top singles player to also play doubles, but if you're a singles player that needs to play qualifying, and you're having success in doubles, which keeps you at tournaments until the end, you you literally cannot play play both because you can't play qualifying whilst you're already in in a tournament at the latter stages. And he was saying that you know, Max will have to make a call between giving up financial stability to to have a go at singles um, and sort of. Sticking, I suppose, sticking with what he's got. And Todd Woodbridge said he had to make that call as well at at one stage of his career, and his wife is adamant that he should stick with the doubles... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Not take the risk. <laughs> um, it's an interesting one. So Matt Ebden and Max Purcell will face the winner of the second semi final, which is currently on court one uh, Cabal and Farah against Mektic Pavic. And the mixed doubles final is about to start on centre court. There's been a bit of a delay to it because Matt Ebden is in it. <laughs> Good luck, he's, Matt. He's been a bit busy. <laughs> Matt Ebden, alongside Sam Stozer, taking on Neil Skubsky, the Brit, and his American partner, Desiree Kravchik, the defending champions, of course. The women's doubles semi finals are tomorrow, so we'll update you on those then. David, you were on wheelchair tennis watch earlier. That tournament, all oh, those tournaments, started today.
2: Yeah, a quarter final stage and a match between Gordon Reid and Alfie Hewitt, which I was watching. And as a doubles team, they've now won 10 Grand Slam sing. sing- 10 Grand Slam doubles titles in a row which is extraordinary as a head to head, they're, they're fascinating I was watching this match, absolutely brilliant match, um, went one said all eventually Alfie Hewitt won it I mean the, the, the support that Gordon Reed has, there was one chap with a beard who did not stop shouting from point one to the end um, and it was just a brilliant atmosphere and yet it was on court 14 as you say and that the capacity of that court I think is about 340 people and I just thought, what a shame! What a shame! What a missed opportunity! And uh, and uh, you know there are other courts here with thousands of seats in them that that court that match could have been on. And, and I reckon you'd have you'd have filled it. And and it's it just feels to me like a big missed opportunity. And and Alfie Hewitt was asked afterwards by Jonathan Overend of the BBC about it, and and he said the same. He said, I you know. W- this could have happened today and it's a shame it didn't. And there were
1: legends on some of those other mm. courts, I mean, and no disrespect to the legends, but uh, I mean, wheelchair tennis is an absolutely brilliant watch, isn't it? And, mm. and for that to be so difficult people were craning over, trying to sort of create um, mini step ladders and, and get legs up from their mates, it was, it was carnage around the surroundings of court 14 and uh, that was a, a hashtag bungle <laughs> um, in, in, in a uh, fortnight, that on the scheduling front has been full of them. I mean, that's the one area where I think they have a, not had a good tournament.
4: It's, a, it, it's such a shame, isn't it? Because exposure is everything for wheelchair tennis at this stage. There's nobody who comes away from watching wheelchair tennis for the first time and doesn't go, "Wow, that was that was really good." I mean, it's a great great watch. So, okay, I, I you know, I don't I don't expect you necessarily to c- cut. St- go straight to go and put it front and centre on centre court but you know get there get get on the road to getting there do what the Australian Open did this year with Dylan Alcourt that was huge Dylan Alcourt's final match against against Sam Schroeder it was front and centre of the Channel 9 coverage it had a full crowd it was it was splendid stuff
2: the, the, I mean there are some people might think well what about the courts? Could you could you could you do that without damaging a court that you might need to play a, another singles match on that isn't wheelchair tennis? Um, and I mean, I think that that's been doubted, and that has been proved that you can play on mm. these courts. And even, even if there is an issue there, fine, get to the second Thursday of the tournament and make Court Two your mm. your wheelchair singles and doubles court, and mm. uh, and and have a five thousand people in it.
4: Mm. If you're going to do it, do it properly. Um, yeah, couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. Um, so, any other business, Simon? Is tennis still going gangbusters at the Daily Telegraph? Are you still flavour
1: <laughs> <flavor laughs> of the month? I haven't actually checked my uh, figures for a we while. We haven't
3: seen any leaderboards that he's no. plastered in front of us. But
1: I do. Uh, I would say that Oliver Brown um, wrote the, uh, the Emma Raducanu has gone out Piece that kind of the, that drove all the clicks uh, last week, so maybe I'm, I'm falling behind in, in this kind of giant game of totopoly. Um, and, Can we uh, help in any
4: what way? What was some? the correspondent doing at the we time? Are helping. This I was doing the match report, but the match report ah. was,
1: was significantly less savage than the comment. Oh, right. Hmm. <laughs> um, but the, uh, other business, uh, should we do the Serena Williams news story?
4: Go for it. So, is it out yet?
1: I believe it's out. Go I've for it. I've seen it online. Go for um, it. Which is that the... Uh, it's been suggested that the reason she didn't come to the centenary celebration was that she'd been asking for a giant fleet of courtesy cars for her entourage and the All England Club had not provided it. Um, so uh, if true, then it's a... Uh,
4: Did they provide her with a fleet of courtesy cars to, to see the Rolling Stones on Saturday night?
1: Because originally I was told by people here that, that she had flown out on the morning of the centenary, having mm. been here on that Sunday morning, uh, but uh, <laughs> Instagram and other sources definitely have approved this to be incorrect.
4: It's a shame she wasn't there. It's a massive shame she wasn't there on Sunday. It's a shame that Agassiz and Graf and Sampras and a few others weren't there, but in particular those... You know, and when I think about how devastated Martina Vrátalová must Mm. have been not to be able to make it, and what it would have meant to her to to be part of that, the fact that some people perhaps couldn't be asked—I don't know their reasons—but maybe at least a hint of can't quite be asked—that's a shame.
2: Hmm. Yeah, it is a shame. I I wish I wish they'd have been there. but But
4: Cliff was there. Did you enjoy Pam's dancing, Simon?
1: (laughs) Well, Pam had got everybody going um, Mm. in the entire stadium and then told us that it was a a flashback to the original. Yeah, the OG. 1996. Mm. I mean, that was the historical context and uh, body popping all in one.
4: (laughs) (laughs) And on that note, Simon, (laughs) before I ask for a demo, let's get this show off the road. Um... This has been our... There's not, I've done this before, haven't I? There's not a word for sort of the one before... It's not even the one before a penultimate. Oh No, but I know gosh. what that word is. Anti-penultimate. Oh, anti-penultimate, yeah. yeah that's yeah. the a,
3: word. That's before penultimate. Is, so
4: tomorrow is the anti-penultimate. Is there a word for what today is? No. I've driven us down a cul-de-sac. Day 11. Day 11. <laughs> this has been your Day 11 tennis podcast. It's taken us that long to get Briggs on the show. Worth the wait. I'm sure you'll agree. Willow is our lovely Wimbledon mascot. Hello, Willow. Darwin, how have you done for Darwin today, David? Mm,
2: didn't happen today, Darwin. Mm. We got the right winner. Just, uh, you know, we thought Ons Jaber had- do it in straight sets and she messed us up.
4: Carter, we neither got the right winner nor the right score, so apologies there.
3: Embarrassing.
4: Dearly departed Gerald.
3: I got the right number of sets but the wrong winner, which is actually an even worse prediction than yes. uh, yours.
1: Mm. <laughs>
3: Great.
4: Success all round. <laughs> Billy well, Jean. <laughs> Billy Jean is sponsored by Billie Jean King and Alana Kloss. Billie Jean King talked about Bones Jabir in her press conference uh, this evening about how she had some of Billie Jean's words in her head on court today and, and in a lot of her matches. One point at a time, she hears Billie Jean saying to her. So that's a, that's a lovely thought. Carl Weingartner and Chris Albert-Lee are our executive producers and top blokes. And Matt, we have shout-outs.
3: We have Carlos Grubler in Haddonfield, New Jersey.
2: Right, Carlos.
4: A very Tennessee name. And hello, New Jersey.
3: Home it's of Bruce. The Garden State.
4: Ooh, well done. Home of Bruce Springsteen. Home of Bruce Springsteen, <laughs> although Amanda Anisimova doesn't know it.
2: Maybe she does now. I should hope so.
4: <laughs> You've got to know your history.
3: <laughs> yeah. Sorry, <laughs> for the Jean. We also have Supner Shah
2: in New York. Hi, right, Supner.
4: Oh, this is a very stateside feel. Hello, Supner.
2: And I think Supner has been in touch with us before uh, with, with a couple of lovely emails. Yes, I think you're right. Mm. So thank you so much. Thank
4: you.
3: And final one is Chris Wiley in Cambridge.
2: Hi, Chris.
4: Like Jordan Wiley?
2: No. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) different spelling. Same Same church, church. different pew.
4: Different pew. Simon, are you aware that there's um, a fake Simon Briggs on Instagram? (laughs) <laughs> or a real Simon Briggs, but one that's not you—an alternative, An alternative,
2: just in case you start to annoy us.
1: I, I met the guy who was um, the other bloke who used to come up on on Google when I uh, when up? you well, ego, when Googled you, yourself, when ego you surfing. There's, there's a technical term for that, ego surfing. Um, and he's Google that as well. And uh, he was a dentist in Adelaide.
3: How did you meet him?
1: Because his dad wrote to me asking for a copy of my cricket book. And then I had uh, lunch with him at the, one of the test matches in Adelaide. He's a lovely chap. So hello to Simon Briggs in Adelaide, if you happen <laughs> to be listening. Got a I, well, and a fake
3: one on our Instagram.
1: And and also there, there's also hello to
4: all Simon Briggs. There's also a listening. Simon
1: Griggs who gets a credit in Christine Truman's autobiography in the preface, and I just don't know. I haven't asked her whether that's a misspelling or whether she actually knows someone called Simon Griggs. <laughs> but, she, it, but I should say she's just
2: trying to thank Briggs and I well, should so say so is any like of your they,
1: work cited in the book. No, we're good friends, but... Uh, um, oh, OK. But
4: it's a Not it enough friends for her to us. Yeah, honestly, if her. anyone
1: likes vintage tennis, Christine Truman's autobiography is absolute corker. She's wonderful.
4: Simon Briggs may or may not be credited in it. I, I don't know. <laughs> well, surely
3: it's, it's
1: you. you. We must get to the bottom it's of this. We're good that. friends. It's you, surely. She gave me a biscuit last year, so I went over to her place in, in Alderborough um, for a chat about
2: all things including emerald Raducanu. <laughs> And the sixty-eight year anniversary of her final against Angela Mortimer. Well, it was a good read. I enjoyed it. The biscuit played an important part.
4: Right.
1: <laughs> well. What, what, what part? I don't know. I just I, I remember the, the, the editor loved the biscuit because I, because we stopped in the middle of the piece and, I, and it was she was talking about her own experience when she played the Wimbledon final. Um, and if you remember, she injured herself. Yeah. Um, I think she was serving for the. For the title change the course of history, she, and, yeah. and and I said, um, she handed me a biscuit, and then she said, I've never quite got over it, <laughs> or something like that. Well, that and does it was pink. It, 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 it was the it was the kind of pause that,
2: that, that, that mm. my editor was, was, was pleased with. It just it does nice. tug at the heartstrings, the thought yeah, of because I, I know Christine; she's so lovely.
4: And I also agree that story wouldn't be the same without the biscuit. Mm, mm, I, I, mean, yeah, I, I had now. to
1: really explain that, didn't I? Great, it was a very good biscuit. It was one of those M and S ones I
2: with have. like several <laughs> layers. I'm going to use a biscuit.
4: If anyone from m s is listening yeah. and would like to send us free biscuits, that would be most welcome. A great piece of reporting
3: from Simon
1: Griggs.
4: <laughs>
1: <laughs> He He's my, my more talented alter ego.
4: Right. I'm not going to tell you to subscribe to the newsletter because... If you haven't, then you're a fool. Yeah. A fool. Uh, Become a friend of the pod. The link is in our show notes. Tell your friends. Leave us an Apple podcast review. Leave Simon a five-star rating on one of his articles. Do all of that. And join us tomorrow for a women's final preview and a digest of all the men's semi-final action. We'll speak to you then.